Have you tried changing your health year on year, resolving that this year things are going to be different, but nothing seems to change? Oftentimes, when things are not changing, we're following many wellness myths and not looking at the full picture, including our nutrition, recovery, stress management, leaving out mind-body connection. I want to introduce you to Wellness Redefined, a new podcast from Refillion Media that's here to dispel all your myths about wellness and fitness while sharing stories of how we redefine what it means to be healthy. On each episode, we'll be talking to experts from all walks of life who will share their own unique wellness journey and offer their perspective. I am your host, Tamika Rochester, founder and CEO of Harlem Cycle, a premier wellness space in New York City with a focus on indoor cycling. I've been an advocate for wellness since as early as I can remember. So if this sounds like something that could help change your life, go ahead and pause the show you're listening to and subscribe to Wellness Redefined on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, friends. Welcome to Inclusive Collective, where we share stories and learnings of inclusive people, organizations, and innovation. I am your co-host, Nadia Butt. I'm an organizational development and belonging strategist, and I'm always joined by my by your other co-host, Rob Hadley, a people and culture strategist specializing in DEI and people analytics. Rob, how was your week this week? Nadia, it's so far so good, right? We're kicking off the new week. So far so good. What in the world is going on with you? Well, I was going to ask, how are folks feeling in Utah about Mitt Romney's retirement announcement? Oh, well, I don't talk to people in Utah. So I don't, uh, I don't necessarily know, but I don't leave the house often in Utah. We, we know Mitt Romney is our, our best hope, right? Like, so you don't have a lot of liberal representation. And so what you're really only hoping for is that someone is somewhat reasonable. And I never thought that I would live Mm. in a world where Mitt Romney was the best that I could do and best that I could hope for. So we're certainly those of us that Want. And he followed you because he was in Massachusetts and now he's in Utah. Mitt and I, we, we really like to stay close, right? We don't like to get too far apart, whether in Boston or or Utah. So we're 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 friends. I mean, I've actually left him a couple of voicemails down at the, down at the office thanking him for for just being reasonable at times. And I, you know, it's uh, I think we're we're definitely losing a voice of of. <laughs> What used to be called conservatism, but now is called reasonable. Uh, reasonable moderation. So, I'm I'm somewhat sad. It's mm, it, you yeah. can't even imagine what will replace him, Nadia. It's going to be it's going to be fun. I don't want to imagine. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Um, Rob, I actually just had a question for you because I'm facilitating um, a workshop next week, and I'm so over the same like same old icebreakers to kick off meetings. So, I was curious from you. Do you have an icebreaker that you would either recommend or that I stay away from completely because you despise it? Wow. I think I think the one that you just had, you can just ask everyone how they feel about Mitt Romney leaving being a senator. I think that's <laughs> probably the new one that I'll that'll be my yeah. go-to from here on out. What do I not like? I'll tell you what. Amazing. I just was was uh was having this, I can't remember where I read it, but it was about the baby picture one, right? And using that as a as a team activity. And so that the folks that are maybe underrepresented. Well, like you bring yeah. a baby. Yeah, I think about that exercise and how many times I've done okay. that and did that in a team meeting. And then there are folks that are underrepresented and that, that maybe it's very easy to identify who that particular person is. And so it's mm-hmm. not that fun to guess for them. And so sure. that's one that I just thought about recently in terms of uh, not being super inclusive. What about you? I've never played the baby game. That's actually really funny. Um, and yes, it's not inclusive. But I think I just hate your typical, like, how's your day going? Cause, you know, we don't need to do like a huge temperature check. Occasionally, it's nice to be like, how's your day? But, but I think to start off like a, a, a workshop or something like that, I feel like it's not as energetic or exciting on the phrasing of it. So I, I probably secretly despise that one the most. Yeah. I can, can, I, can I tell you my favorite... Um, workshop like early get to know you exercise it's something that i as far as i know i created it it's called bad caricature and so what you do is you get two people together and they have the conversation about the things that are about their personality or some characteristics right give them like two or three things to talk about and then you have the other person draw that and then present that to the rest of the group and so what you get is like a really 
uh, awful drawing usually, but so it's very fun. And then it's also, you learn about someone at the same time. All I created right, that, yeah. by the way. Bad caricature. Everyone, feel free to use that. I love that. And we should play that game, you and I. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. You said you wanted to get more conflict into the show. So if I draw you, that could create more conflict. I did. <laughs> That's right. So you're welcome for that little tip. Feel free to use that exercise. So Nadia, on this week's show, this week on Inclusive Collective, we'll be talking to Mita Malik, author of the forthcoming book, Reimagine Inclusion. And she is going to help us debunk some myths that will transform your workplace. We'll also discuss the Florida Board of Education's draconian bathroom rules and Lyft's new product feature for women and non-binary writers. And later, I'll be talking about the impact of increased cost of childcare. And Nadia was going to rave about Lego's inclusive innovations. But first, Nadia, what's going on? Right, Rob. So like, let's shift gears to our new segment, Can I Get Two Minutes? And so, um, Rob, I was hoping you could help answer or provide some advice or suggestions, maybe a coaching on this question. So, Rob, can I get two minutes? on how do we share diversity or DEI data that is not flattering to an organization? Actually, uh, actually I'm busy mm, right one, now. Right? So, so <laughs> sure, Nadia, of course, two minutes for you anytime. That's a loaded two minutes though, right? So it seems like, you know, so I'm gonna try to, I'm gonna try to refine this for my purposes and narrow this down to something that you can use. So, I'm going to make an assumption that let's say that you're talking about survey data. Let's talk about survey data, employee sentiment data. So it sounds like you've done an engagement survey or DEI survey, and there are results that are not flattering to you in terms of what people think about the company or the DEI efforts or the leadership or whatever kind of experience they're having. So I'm going to use that. And the debate you're having internally is on what the organization should present or acknowledge. And so I'm going to go all the way back. I'm going to say that if this is something that happens to you, if this catches you by surprise, it's already too late for you, Nadia. And probably whatever you do, you'll probably do the wrong thing and make the wrong decision. So, you know, the coaching that I want to get through here is that the thinking on how you're going to present employee sentiment data really should take place well before you actually even develop the survey. At an even higher level, companies really need to have, and I always encourage them to have thought out written out principles on how they're going to get employee feedback. And they really need to make clear to employees that they're going to be asking for their input, why they're going to do it, and then what they intend to do with that feedback. I also always encourage them to have a privacy policy, you know, so very clearly articulating to their employees, this is what we're going to do with your data. And this is why it's important that we collect it. So start to establish a sense of trust even before you've administered any kind of surveys. And then when you get to a particular survey, before it's sent out, clearly lay out why it's important, what the process is for gathering data, what we're doing this for, and how you're going to communicate results. So that will lock you in as an organization and then commit your leaders and your executives and the folks that are going to be actually presenting this out to sharing what you learn. And so it's impossible to go back on yourself at that point, right? So thinking this stuff through in advance will sharpen the organizational's focus uh, as they start to think about what they want to learn in a survey, because there's really, and I think you believe this and agree with this, there's nothing worse for feedback programs other than doing a survey and then not sharing what was said or not taking action on what was learned. So if you commit to sharing in advance, it changes the way that you're asking questions and how you organize around taking actions based on what you're going to learn. Does that help, Nadia? Uh, see, it was fantastic. I loved everything about that. And um, just I, it sounds like it's just a form also a way to like build trust amongst your employees of like you're collecting data. Here's what we have learned and and the privacy. I love that you mentioned that piece as well. So thank you so much for that coaching tip. But I think. Yeah, I basically just said you're screwed. And that's basically the advice I gave most people when they stopped by my office. So, <laughs> uh, Well, super helpful. I'm I'm certain that folks listening to that coaching tip will find that to be really uh, helpful and beneficial. Um, so let's get to the deets. What's going on this week, Rob? Yeah, the, one, uh, the story I want to touch on was our friends at Lyft, the ride-sharing company, and that's Lyft with a Y. 
So like all great tech companies, you know, it's cool and techy, right? They, they use a Y instead of an I. Oh, um, okay. They introduced this new feature. I think it came out this week or this past week that allows women and non-binary riders to select a gender preference when they're getting a ride. So I thought this was cool. The company said that this had been often requested, and I can imagine that actually hearing this. Mm -hmm. The product is also intended to drive increased non-male drivers, so that only 23% of their drivers are not male currently. Mm -hmm. Nadia, is this, is this a good product feature for you? Yeah, you know, it is. It's a fantastic feature. Um, you know, I don't know if your wife maybe has ever said this or any women or non-binary folks in your life, anyone really, um, who would have appreciated a feature like this, but I know I have desired that like for safety purposes. So like, you know, of course I'd prefer that they solve for sexual assaults or harassment, but realistically right. I don't expect Lyft to um, other than really um, putting a policy in place and really holding people accountable. But it's a, it's a really good option or, or countermeasure to, to put in, in replacement of it. Um, it's also, I think a great example of, listening to your customers, mm -hmm. um, adjusting to what's needed, right? Like that's the continuous mindset that improves not only the employee experience, but also the customer experience. And like you said, I think it's going to increase like female workers, um, non-binary workers um, at Lyft to perhaps incentivize them to, you know, to become drivers. And so um, I just hope that it's not abused in any way, the feature. Mm. Um, that was really like my only concern about it, but I'm, I'd love to hear what your thoughts were. Yeah. Thanks. I, you mentioned that 25, they, they had paid 25 million to settle driver sexual harassment claims uh -huh. in the past. And so I just thought it was an interesting, simple fix, kind of like the thing that you, you know, when you think about power dynamics and small spaces like a car, mm -hmm. uh, I could just imagine that a lot of, and I think we know this, right, that many male drivers make women and uh, non-binary folks uncomfortable, especially mm -hmm. in a certain situation and cer certain scenarios in terms of, of getting a ride. So this was, I, I was just like, huh, why didn't we do that sooner? Why didn't every company that offers something like this, all the competing rideshare companies, I feel like they will follow this. I think that this will make I think this is a great innovation in terms of a product feature for Lyft. And so I also was, I think there's universal approval for this. I was looking for some sort of troll online that would say mm -hmm. that this is some sort of a bad idea or some sort of opinion piece that said, gee, this is the wrong move for a company. And I couldn't find anyone. So I saw nothing. Um, of course, I don't use X or Twitter or whatever that is. So I, so I don't really uh, oh, pay attention. You don't know stuff. what so, they're saying. You're not on yeah. like the Lyft uh, comment board. <laughs> no, I'm not. So I think. You know, so I was trying to think about, are there other places where this could be applied? What are other places where there's power dynamics that would warrant something like this? You know, we have women only gyms, um, you know. So anyway, I'm just interested Doesn't to see. Doesn't say like at a larger scale, though, like our society, like to not address that there are men that are, you know, committing these sexual harassment and assaults. And um, and then these organizations are having to settle um, outside yeah. of court or take people to trial. It's just, it's so disgusting that like, that's what we've come to as a, as a, we've been doing that for, you know, generations, but it's just really frustrating. Yeah. The only difference is we probably haven't been actually taking steps to solve it. And so, you know, like Lyft in and of itself can't solve the larger problem, but right. they can as a company use what they have at their disposal, which is the power of their algorithm and their systems and their processes to make things a tiny bit better for the very small fraction of problems that they have in this area. Don't forget, it's probably, you know, very few incidents, but those incidents are impactful. And so if they can take steps to try to reduce those, then they can have an outsized impact for the people that are, that are experiencing this. But yeah, you know, your, your larger point of disgust about society, I, <laughs> taken. <laughs> you agree. Point taken. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> point taken. Um, that's great. Thanks, Rob. Um, okay. So, you know, we start, this is our second week of season four. We started off strong. But it cannot be a good season, Rob, if we didn't mention our buddy Ronnie DeSantis down in Florida. Florida, yeah. <laughs> so the Florida State Board of Education voted uh, in late August to approve new rules at state colleges for transgender employees and students where they are restricting access to bathrooms. 
um, mm-hmm. colleges will be forced to fire employees who twice use a bathroom other than the one assigned to their sex at birth, despite being asked to leave. Uh, and then I believe that those same okay. restrictions are being applied to students. Um, thoughts? Uh, so <laughs> Flo Rida, coming in strong. Um, as always hopefully the soon the soon to be irrelevant florida uh but okay so this is a state board this is appointed by the governor trying to put teeth into the law that florida passed and signed last may and so the rules as reported they seem very confusing to me mm-hmm. and they're non-specific about the discipline that those that use the bathroom of their choosing this is you know uh are, are going to face and so this is going to force each college to determine their own standards and, and, and disciplinary procedures. And so in addition to inflicting a lot of harm for no reasons other than political, it makes life a lot more difficult. When we think about from the workplace perspective, it makes mm-hmm. life a lot more difficult for the administrators of these colleges. It creates right. a ton of variability and being able to enforce the law or enforce these rules. And not, you know, so... These are conservatives, right? They're supposed to not enjoy rules or legislation. Right. They're supposed well, to here despise. Here we are, gover- government interference. They're supposed to despise <laughs> unnecessary things like this. Yeah. And so, again, larger societal point of, of making this group a punching bag is disgusting and awful. But, you know, the Florida Board of Education is responsible for strengthening the college system in the state, right, to educate Floridians to strengthen the civic foundation of the state and the economic vitality of the state. And this is what they're spending their time on. So mm-hmm. people of Florida should be somewhat horrified by their focus mm-hmm. on vilifying this marginalized group and causing harm. Yeah, perfectly said. Like Florida is certainly not joking around. They feel like this last year has taught us that. And so I don't know. All I'll say is like we got to now watch out for bathroom monitors. Like there's people out there. <laughs> They're going to be watching where you go to the bathroom, how often you're going to the bathroom. And it's just like they're like hall monitors. Now they're going to start handing out past like, you know, um, citations. And so it's just incredibly disappointing. Yeah. And and again, well, there is discretion on the part of these colleges and their administrators. And so I think that there are some that will enforce that will enforce it and they'll be really you know, dynamically bad situations. And then there are others that completely ignore it. The disturbing thing is that it's an unnecessary thing that really is going to cause a lot of harm. All right, Nadia, that is it for the deets. We'll be right back with DEI leader and author, Mita Malik. Welcome back to Inclusive Collective. Our guest today is Mita Malik. Mita is a corporate change maker with a track record of transforming businesses. She's had an extensive career as a marketer in beauty and consumer product goods space, being a fierce advocate of including and representing black and brown communities. Her new book, of which I received an advanced copy, Reimagine Inclusion, Debunking 13 Myths to Transform Your Workplace, will be out October 3rd, published by Wiley. Her passion for inclusive storytelling led her to become a chief diversity officer, and Mita has brought her talent and expertise to companies like Carta, Unilever, Pfizer, Avon, Johnson & Johnson, and more. She's a sought-after speaker and coach to startup founders, executives, and public CEOs. She's also the co-host of a popular podcast, The Brown Table Talk, part of the LinkedIn Podcast Network. On Brown Table Talk, media and co-host Dee Marshall shares stories and tips on how to help women of color win at work and advice for allies on how they can show up. And Nadia and I highly recommend Brown Table Talk. Media is a LinkedIn top voice, a contributor for the Harvard Business Review, Adweek, entrepreneur and fast company. She has been featured in the New York Times, the Washington Post, Time Magazine, Forbes, Axios, Essence, Cosmopolitan Magazine, and Business Insider. She was featured in a documentary created by Soledad O'Brien Productions for CBS News entitled Women in the Workplace and the Unfinished Fight for Equality. Mita holds a BA from Barnard College at Columbia University and an MBA from Duke University's Fuqua School of Business. She lives in New Jersey with her husband and two children. Mita Malik, it's so great to see you. Thanks so much for being with us on Inclusive Collective. Thank you, Rob. Thank you, Nadia. This is a conversation long time coming, so I'm excited. Yeah, so great meeting you. Thanks for being with us. First off, Mita, it's good to see you. Thanks for joining. Before I get started, I just wanted to ask about your summer. We're kind of kind of 
tail end of summer here. We both have kids about the same age. Uh, are you as happy as I am about uh, September or, or are you kind of hanging on to those last precious moments? I go back and forth. I've been sort of a curmudgeon. Oh, gosh, summer. Like, when did I start hating, hating summer when I became a parent? Isn't that horrible? Mm. But now I'm sad, Rob. I'm like, oh, gosh, only a week getting older. My husband's probably going to throw a dance party on <laughs> <laughs> when the day they go back. But yeah, I go back and forth. And listen, it's the mom guilt for me that's self-imposed. It's the back and forth, the pendulum swing. Yeah. Totally. Totally. Well, um, so let's, we're going to talk about the book today. Thanks so much for doing this and for sharing with us the advanced copy. So the book comes out October 3rd, Yes. Uh, Reimagine Inclusion, and in it, you focus on 13 myths. And so I wanted to start by asking about the idea for the book and why it centers on myths, right? So what, what's, what's that, that formulation? Because I would imagine that frame is even more relevant today than when you started writing the book, Absolutely. right? With all the things that we hear uh, in terms of attacks on, on DEI and, and a lot of myths being uh, perpetuated in the media by certain groups with certain agendas. But uh, so, so, yeah, just to start there, why, why myths? Well, thank you both for reading the book because time is a precious commodity. So I really appreciate that. I wanted to grab people's attention in a different way. And if you follow my writing and follow me on social media, I tend to do that. I want to talk about the quiet parts out loud. There are a lot of great books on leadership, inclusion out in the marketplace, but we're not talking about the things that we say to each other behind closed doors or sometimes in public. It's the stories we tell ourselves. And if we hold on to those things, like the stories we tell our kids at bedtime, right? But if we're telling these stories in our workplaces, we start to believe they're fact and not fiction. It stops us from making the progress we need to build more inclusive cultures. And so I wanted to take that approach. People ask me, Rob, Nadia, why 13? Let's not overcomplicate it. It's my lucky number. Love it. My birthday is June 13th. So I just picked 13. And I, throughout my career, have kept career journals. I love journaling. And for our listeners, career journals are different. I document the highs and the lows of my career, a lot of memories and things I've experienced. And so when I wrote the book, it was a lot easier to go back through those journals and pull upon some of the experiences Mm -hmm. I was able to weave in. Yeah, that's great. Um, My birthday is November 13th. So I'm also a big 13. I'm February 13th. No, 13. Power 13. This is meant Mm. to be. Um, (laughs) So like Rob said, we thank you so much for the advanced copy of the book. I was digging into it and I love how you have it set up with myths. And I wanted to start off with talking about some of the myths. So myth number eight. So that's titled, of course we support women. We just extended maternity leave. Now I don't have children, but this one resonates with me a lot because I'm at the age where most of my friends, my sister-in-law have babies or are pregnant. Um, I have friends who are male Mm -hmm. who are adopting, co-parenting, what, you know, what, what have you. And so, You mentioned that one of the biggest myths you see leaders believing is that by extending maternity leave um, and checking the box with other policies, that alone will not help attract, develop, and promote women. Um, And then, of course, you mentioned like how women, like any other group, are not a monolith, which like I love. Um, Could you expand more on like what do you mean by that? There is the deep cultural stereotype that many of us have been raised with, no matter where you grew up, the role that we think women should play in our homes and society and how that transfers into work. So there's this assumption that if you're going to create an inclusive culture for women, you create an inclusive culture for mothers, which isn't true because as you just shared, Mm -hmm. not all women will become mothers. And so how do you think about the intersectionality of women And then the other part of the myth is that, oh, check the box, just because we, yay, we extended maternity leave, done, now we support mothers and we support women. And the world of work for women cannot change without men. And so the fact that, and this is in, in the myth and the story I share, when I took leave, both companies, it was called maternity leave. Really, it should be called Mm -hmm. parental leave. Mm -hmm. And the discussion of the role of men is changing, but in a lot of workplaces is absent still that importance of what it means for all parents to be inclusively taking leave. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. When I was, when my son was born, I got four days I, I, and, oh. and, uh, and, and it's, uh, and I, I, 
and so you know i'm excited by the, by the fact that it's better right in certain in certain environments as well but and it's uh I was just going to add that to that, Rob. So I have, um, you know, many male friends who are having kids, my brother for one. And some of the things that they're re- recognizing now is like four days, two weeks is not enough for, for, you know, paternal leave. And so one of the conversations I had recently with my brother was like, you are going to be the person that advocates for yes. more parental time. And so like I can sit here as a woman, as, a, you know, an auntie or my friends that are other women can sit there as mothers and advocate for themselves, but really until men are actually also allies, like you said, Nina, like that's when the change happens. So I love that you're calling that on the book. And what you do also, especially in that particular myth in that chapter is like you give these like actionable recommendations on how to do that, which I think is really lacking, like the bridge between like the theory of how to yes. do it versus to the practitioner. And I, I love that. Mita, I want to talk about a holes uh, and the kind that we the Let's kind that we find it. at work. Let's do it, right? <laughs> so, and one of my favorites. And so, um, there's a myth there that that we protect the a holes because our business wouldn't run without them. And talk about like you set this up earlier. Things that we don't necessarily talk about. The stories that we don't tell. Uh, we don't, you know, we don't talk enough about. Right? That there are people in an organization that uh, can have an outsized impact. Right? On the inclusivity of an organization and uh, often they're in positions of power. And so, so talking about this, this myth, uh, what are some of the things that companies need to do to make sure they're dealing with their a-holes? So many companies have processes in place. I talk about that in this myth and the story, which I won't give away, you all read, but it is me as an individual who shows up and wreaks havoc because of my bias, because I have a longstanding relationship with Rob. Rob didn't mean that. He didn't do that. We're misinterpreting mm. So I'll give Rob more chances than I'll give Nadia, right? Mm -hmm. Nadia makes a mistake. She's out. And the question I ask is, I'm not going to use Rob. I'll use Mita. (laughs) I feel like I'll put Rob on the hot. No, but it's like, (laughs) you know, Mita works for Nadia. The question for Nadia is, how much hurt and harm can Mita continue to cause in this organization without repercussions? She's lost five women of color on her team in nine days, but she's still allowed to stay. And, you know, I I ask leaders when I coach them and work with them, it's like, how much of the company are you willing to sacrifice for this one person? Mm -hmm. How much of your own leadership brand are you willing to sacrifice? And it's so fascinating how we will put personal relationships above for this one individual above all else. Even when we hear the feedback and we make so many excuses, and to me, it's just sort of baffling, especially when the data is there. But one of the things I talk about a lot is, you know, exit interview data. It's like written Telling. in a notebook on number two pencil sometimes and no one ever sees it again or it's erased. And it's like, <laughs> you know, if we or were the, even in the, the middle of this call, yeah. I got a bad customer review, I'd hang up and go check that review on Amazon and do everything I could to send Nadia a basket of shampoo and get her on the phone and be like, why didn't you like the product? We don't treat, you know, we treat our employees like the forgotten consumer. We don't actually think about exit interviews the way we do customer reviews. And so the question is, a lot of these things your employees are telling you when they're leaving and we're choosing either to bury them, pretend we didn't hear it or ignore it. Because if meat has been a problem for a while, there's been a lot of people who've expressed it where there's smoke, there's fire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, I'm all for diverse talent as long as they are good. You guys are really is digging the, in. I love it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> is the title of Myth 4. We chose like the ones we love the most. Yes. And it was great because, you know, Rob loves the a-holes and I love talking about diverse talent. I put that in quotes. But that is the, na- the title of your Myth 4. You talk about language um, that that matters. Right. And, um, you know, ever evolving language that is. And I'm, I'm a big believer in defining our terms, especially as they evolve um, in the book. You suggest that we refrain from using phrases like diverse hire and instead use phrases like diverse team. I love this. Can you walk us through why um, and, and maybe even perhaps the impact and, and you don't have to go into too much detail, but. Um, kind of that surface impact of like why the phrases in particular, maybe diverse hired are sure. problematic. So 
the myth, I'm all for diverse talent as long as they're good. Would we ever say I'm all for non-diverse talent as long as they're good? So I'll let everyone sit on that for a second. Because when you don't know enough people from a community, if I'm the only brown woman you've ever met, or your exposure to South Asian individuals is film or books, which is really dangerous and can be, Mm -hmm. uh, you bring that with you into the workplace. And so if whatever experience you've had with me leads you to believe, because I'm different, I'm less qualified because of that perceived difference, you then start to think, well, you've lowered the bar for me. And so the times in my career where I've been called the diversity hire, I earned this seat. I'm not diversity. I earned this seat. And so I ask leaders to really think about language in terms of let's not use diversity hire. Let's not use diversity candidate. Let's say we're, we're aiming for a diverse slate. Let's say we're focused on diversity representation. Mm-hmm. Right. So like a slate is a group of individuals, a diverse team. Right. But like when you call me diversity hire, also like, would we say non-diversity hire? I struggle with the word minority. Do we say majority? It is a minority. And so one of the things I say about the book, listen, I'm not an expert. I just have deep expertise. There's no way in this world. I don't believe there's experts anymore. And so by the time this book comes out, it will be outdated. There will be language in there that someone will say, I can't believe she said that. And I'll say, yes, I'm learning because that's what we are all. But that's what it is. It's the humility to say language is changing and we have to just on our journey to be more inclusive leaders, educate ourselves and ask questions. And guess what? Google is your best friend. Mm-hmm. So many things we can Google. The things I get in my DMs, I'm like, really? Okay. Like you could have Googled it. Bro. <laughs> right? And I don't say that as a chief diversity officer. That's my job in my company. But I just say, like, just think about the burden of education and then ask the questions. Right. I appreciate that. Yeah. And I think that uh, I think you meant to say everyone's an expert, right? Because isn't everyone supposed to be an expert now? Like, isn't that what yeah, you're supposed to you're supposed to brand yourself? Yes. Right. Oh, that's what you're supposed to say. Um, no, I really that's, I appreciate that. Uh, I feel like I'm quizzing you on your book, but I do want to talk about. So, well, my favorite, obviously, is uh, DEI doesn't benefit me. White men's voice doesn't count anymore. Mm. That myth. I don't know why I gravitated toward toward that myth. I don't know what what about it really spoke to me. Um, so you focus on the topic. My favorite thing about it is you have 20 tips for white men mm. to start committing to DEI efforts. And so, just what what are some things that stand out? What are some of your favorites? I can I can tell you tell you a couple of mine as well. But what it, you know what what stands out to you and things that white men can do to be part of this? I'm going to give real actionable tips. They're all in there. Right. right? Somebody yeah. approached me up this recently. Rob, you were approached to speak at a conference panel. Now I am going to pick on you, Rob. Rob, you're going to do a conference okay, panel. Yeah. I do that a lot. So they they had yeah. asked you to come speak on a panel. You're excited. Okay. Yeah. What's the next question you can ask? I'd love to see who the other panelists are. I'd love to make sure right. of diversity of representation. So right. you don't show right. up and you're like, wow, it's uh, five white men, including myself on the panel. So then you have no excuse. I've also had men who've gone a step further to say, I get enough panel opportunities. If you cannot change the diversity of representation of this panel, I'd like my spot to go to a black woman. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. So there are ways to do that. The other thing I would say is if you are in a position of leadership and you're leading a team, start thinking about what you want your legacy to be. I talk to CEOs about this all the time. Okay, so your C-suite isn't the way you want it to be now, but what could it look like in three years? And that takes intention, that takes succession planning, that takes meeting people and meeting talent. Because when you don't meet people, what happens when your CMO role becomes open? You're just like, oh, I'm going to give it to so-and-so because I know they're Mm -hmm. good. Because you're in such pressure that you haven't, you don't have a vast network in the pipeline. You're just not always, should always be meeting talent. The other thing I would say is, and I talk about compensation in the book, it's not HR's Mm -hmm. job to make sure your team is being paid fairly and equitably. It's your job. So mm. if you are managing a team right now, go tomorrow, check your team's compensation and check to see what's happening between particularly the men and women on your team. And then go ask HR and legal for help. But what this happens all the time mm-hmm. because Nadia has been on your team for a while. 
And then Mita comes in, same level, same experience, but because you attracted her externally, gave her a big retention bonus, increased mm-hmm. her salary, et cetera, et cetera. And then all of a sudden, are we punishing loyalty? Right. Nadia, who's been on your team for five years, is suddenly underpaid and no one's checked. But guess what? It's your job. It's not HR's job. It's your job. So those are three quick things you can be thinking about. I love that. I love that so much. Um, I'm going to take a little bit of a um, sidetrack here, Rob, for a second. I just have a question that I want to ask. Who are you hoping that this book reaches? Like if you were to describe characteristics or demographic, who are you hoping that this book reaches? It's great. I mean, it's a great question because I'm a marketer. So if I say everybody, that's the wrong answer. You can't be all things to all people. I really want it to be people who are working in companies at all levels, but are really interested and curious about this work and don't know where to start. And I really want this to be a leadership handbook resource guide. You can be an individual contributor or you could be the CEO. So the, for me, I say leader, we're all leaders. I know that doesn't always work in corporate, right? Because leaders are and, you know, it's like you're at the, we've been trained, you're at the top of the pyramid, you've got the corner office, you've got a big budget, you have 100 people reporting into you. And I want to challenge that we all, each of us own a piece of our culture and we each show up tomorrow doing one thing different. It can have a real ripple effect on our workplaces. Sure. sure. I can absolutely, I mean, I just off the top of my head can think of, you know, several different groups of people that could benefit from reading this book, particularly middle managers. And senior managers that really are like, you know, responsible for some of this work. Everyone's responsible to a certain degree, but really struggling to implement. And because of the actionable recommendations and suggestions, I feel like this could be so valuable. Um, So one of our final questions, well, Rob will ask the final. This is the second to final question I have. I have a lot of more questions. He has a lot more questions, (laughs) but you know, we're almost at time. So (laughs) we also want to respect your time, but I'm, I'm curious because of the work that you do, your lived experiences, what do you do to experience joy and re-energize yourself? I love that question. I love writing so much. I have no hobbies except for my family, my kids, my day job, writing. I don't travel. I don't ski. My husband forces me to travel. I don't paddleboard. I don't bake. I don't have it. Like, I just love to write. And so for me, writing is healing. It brings me joy. I write. 20 minutes a day, usually sometimes more. Some of it never sees the light of day. Some of it's trash, as my daughter would say, trash. (laughs) Some of it's great. Okay. (laughs) But I do, I've been trying to exercise more, stay hydrated, community conversation, all those things. Yeah. I think we have to stop treating ourselves like Uber apps. I keep reminding myself like always on demand. So just like unplug from everything and just be still, be quiet. Right, That's right. That's great. I I want to ask a question. I, I do. I did have another question about your role. And so I, I before I knew you from social media, we were introduced by a, a common friend. I I had seen some of the work that you had done with uh, you know the particular company that you're working with, and just been impressed with some of the things that they put in place. Um, there was, you know, and, and I, I think about the tech industry. You know, so you're, you're currently in the tech industry work for a large tech company. So so give me the state of play in tech, right? So I think about the outsized impact that tech has and everything that we do, management culture. Um, it's obviously the most powerful industry, uh, big economic driver in the United States. So just what have you seen in terms of gr- growth in that industry, in terms of some of the things that you talk about in the book, in, D- in terms of DEI, um, and where is tech falling most short, in your opinion? Work in progress is what I'll say. Yeah. Still a lot more to be done. I think about, I'm the head of DEI at Carta. And so I think about Carta's role, particularly when we think about equity, which is what we do, right? Um, right. And we have the Carta Equity Summit report every year. Henry Ward, who's our founder, started that with Angels List. It's many years running. And I think mm-hmm. about tech's greater responsibility in the ecosystem. I think about that with any company. It's like, okay, so you have the responsibility to your own company, but you serve so many other customers and what's your responsibility. So as a part of this report, you know, we found with anonymized customer, anonymized customer data, if you think about Nadia and Rob in the U S the, the stats will say base salary, a dollar 
for what a man makes. A woman makes around 88 cents, and that's mm-hmm. just in aggregate. As Nadia, you just said women are not a monolith. It drops with intersectionality, right? right. What do you mm-hmm. think it is for equity? A dollar to, what would your guess be? A dollar to a uh, uh, quarter of a penny. <laughs> I feel like we're playing prices right. <laughs> I'm not going to, Nadia, I won't tell you high low. Go ahead. Yeah. I, I, w- I would say like 62 or something. You guys are right like in the middle. 47 cents. Can you believe wow. that? A dollar to 47 yeah. cents. So all of the wealth that's being generated out of Silicon Valley, you think about equity. And I will tell you, I never thought about it till I came to Carta because I was a public company person my entire life. You got your base. As you got up the ladder, you started to get stock, you know, some mm-hmm. stock. But it's sort of, wow, the education that's need to, needed to be done. And particularly if you're from an underrepresented community, like when I got my offer, I didn't know how to evaluate it. Like I had never, I didn't understand. I had to research and I had one mentor who had introduced me to Henry. I called him and he was like, yeah, of course, I'll talk you through this. So I think it's also the lack of education when it comes to financial equity. That's so important as well. Is do yeah. Would you also put, opportunity of equity into that I'm, I'm sure there's like intersections of that just i think of like the opportunities to like meet and greet on the golf course of course and, you know these informal meetings yeah. that happen there was the park. recent study that showed when you look at white founders versus black founders the huge discrepancy when it comes to precede family family and friend rounds like mm-hmm. huge discrepancy right of course um, yeah. because of as you're saying access to opportunity access to network Yeah. Yeah. And so, and, and so I think of, I think of Carta and I think it was such an important company and it sits in the, it's such a, um, at the intersection of tech and then also private equity and venture capital, everything that every investment in the private markets runs through there. And there's so much access to data and understanding and it's such a powerful place of influence. And so I'm very happy to know that you're there, uh, thinking about these issues with, with their leadership, because I think it's such an important company. So, um, so again, thanks Mita Malik so much for being with us. I really want to recommend the book. I, I, you mentioned that you wanted to be a handbook. I really like the way that you did it. You see, there's a ton of education in the context of debunking those myths. So really, I didn't necessarily expect a handbook, but there was a lot of great, uh, resources and I learned a lot. There's something for practitioners There's something for folks that work in an organization and, and I just wanted to get a little bit better on some of these issues. So really like the way you do it. Will you please come back when you write the follow-up bestseller uh, and come back and see oh, us? I love it. I love it. Putting out there into the universe. Yes, I will. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing um, not only your expertise on Inclusive Collective, but just in general with the world. We oh, love thank you both. following you on um, the socials and then just listening to your podcast. Um, and of course, this book, I can't recommend it enough to folks. Um, so thank you so much for joining us. Well, welcome back, folks. We just finished chatting with Meet the Mullick, and it's um, that time to con reflect on the conversation. Rob, what a fun conversation we had with Meetha. Like she's she's so fun. She's so thoughtful, so bright. First of all, how lucky were we to have her on the show? So good. Um, yeah, yeah, right? great to meet her. Yeah. Um, and I if it's fair, I'll if I could just offer kind of what I've been reflecting on just after sure. the conversation. First of all, her book you know, a great read. And so for individuals who are really, you know, kind of looking for ways to mitigate bias in the workplace, I think it's a really, it's a really tangible read for folks in every level, but really leaders and managers. So I would recommend it. The book comes out in October. Um, And, you know, there's, I think it's one of the very few books I've read that truly offers like a more practical guide and how to approach certain interpersonal interactions and decisions and then Mm -hmm. how we reflect on that and so i appreciated how she laid out the book and it was just a really fun great conversation what were your con reflections rob well the first thing was you and i neither of us talked about our reaction to the book before we had the interview right like so we don't interview a ton of authors yeah (laughs) we're not good morning america we're open to it but yeah i'm not robin roberts although we are doing another one next week but so I think that was just very funny that as we got in the conversation, I could see that you 
liked the format of the book the same way that I did and, and the way that, you know, and, and so we talked about, it. I think we went into detail on three or four myths in the interview. There are 13 in the book. And so the way that Mita set this up, she can really cover a lot of ground. And so it's, uh, I, I didn't expect it to be as thorough on a lot of things that can be very useful in terms of DEI in the workplace. And so I think it covered a, a heck of a lot of ground and and it'll definitely be on my recommendation list for folks that want to, you know, I think it can be useful for practitioners, but then also people in a corporate setting that just want to get started. And, sure. you know, because it has a storytelling component of it, it's a quick, it's a quick and fun read and engaging read as well. Right. Page Turner. Page Turner. All right. <laughs> um, well, thanks for that, Rob. And thank you again, Mitha. Um, it's that time for rants and raves, Rob. Uh, yes, I always love your rant, so I'm so excited for this one. You go ahead first. What was your it's rant? A, it's this a short one, a short, but I think it's there. There's so many things I couldn't necessarily fit it all in, right? So, mm -hmm. I want to take a moment to talk about childcare, and okay. as you know, I am a, I'm a father, and and have had struggles with this issue in my in my career. But as we speak, probably thousands of programs are at risk of closing uh, at the end of this month when federal pandemic relief funding expires. So uh, mm. how many, you ask? Up to 70,000 child care programs could oh be impacted. Wow. This is something that uh, the Democrats are hoping to secure pump permanent funding uh, for uh, at, at this month. This is something that expired uh, from the 2021 Relief Act. But uh, they're not, they, you know, they were trying to get this in, uh, they're trying to get permanent funding in 2021 in the American Relief Act. I can't remember exactly what it was, but um, they could not overcome the objectives of Senator Joe Manchin. And that's someone that I'm almost certain has never had to <laughs> worry about child care concerns. Mm. And so, again, uh, a plug for change in representation in our Congress and Senate. So the cost of child care, Nadia, is now, I believe the average is nationwide, somewhere around 11000 per child per year. Mm. That's the average. Uh, it's now out of reach for many families. And so couple this with the fact that many companies are now requiring the return of workers to the office full time. And so mm -hmm. there are some people, often you and I talk to this in our, in our work, we talk to people that are saying, hey, I don't believe in systemic inequity. And so this is an example, right? So different components of a system working together in concert to make things difficult for a certain group of people, in this case, women, families, and children, which obviously are, are very important constituencies. So, um, you know, it, it's something that we need to be watching and it has a huge impact on some of the things that we care about on this show and in terms of workplace inclusivity. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for, for, for ranting on that. You know, it's funny because I just ran across like a Bloomberg article where Cisco's employees in India, they're giving um, maternity leave up to like 18 or 24 months. Mm. And um, I, I know we're not talking necessarily about parentally. We're talking about child care. But I just I ran across that article and just thought, wow, we, you know, we can offer that in India. And of course, um, many of the Western countries have. Uh, really great childcare opportunities as, as support, as well as kind of paternal and maternal parental leave. And we just still have not figured it out here in the U.S. It's not that we haven't figured it out. It's a choice. Right? It's a choice. It's a, yeah. it's a choice. It's who we are as a country. We do not yeah. believe in supporting parents and we not believe in supporting families. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that. Let's end on a positive note here. So my rave this <laughs> week is... Lego has announced in the end of um, summer that they are releasing, or they have now released, a Braille version of its toy bricks that's now available to the public for the first time ever. Yay. Did you know this? Isn't this I fun? didn't. I didn't until, yeah, until you had mentioned it. Yeah. Yeah. So they previously actually had um, Braille, a version of its brick toys, but they previously distributed them free of charge to organizations specializing in education of children with either you know vision impairment. Um, and so on, but never available to the public. And so these bricks mm. are going to are designed so that anyone who is curious about Braille can have fun getting to know the Braille system at home. Um, it's aimed at kids ages six and older, regardless of if they are blind, partially sighted or sighted. And they're available in English and French. And I think they're hoping to add additional languages 
over the next year. So yay for Legos. Really fun to yay. end um, on an inclusive. They're like year. the smartest company in the world, Nadia. And they think about so the fact that they're going to make. So we make the case for inclusion being good business. They're going to make an absolute windfall from this. So you can think about all the collectors yeah. that now have to <laughs> increase their collection. Yes. And and start to invest in Braille. Like, I, 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 this will be an absolute crusher for them I love financially. It. Yeah. Maybe we'll have to find someone um, who can join us from the Legos team. I'm going to. We could have my son my who builds team. Legos. We oh. can just have him on and talk to him about it. But I love it. Maybe we will. Um, I also want to end the day, Nadia, talking about and hoping our Jewish friends had a joyous Rosh Hashanah, Shana mm-hmm. Tova. Yes. Um, we send our love to our listeners with family and friends in Morocco and Libya. Hopefully uh, a lot of stuff going on there in the last couple of weeks. Yes. So please donate to aid efforts there. And we are now kicking off, as you know, Hispanic Latino Heritage Month. So we uh, hope to be featuring stories uh, from a Latine Hispanic heritage perspective throughout the month. Yes. Thanks for that, Rob. Very good. Yeah. Well, that's it for Inclusive Collective this week. Just a reminder that if you're a leader, manager, HR, um, DEI, you know, leader, practitioner looking for talent management support, people analytics, DEI assessments or strategy, you can reach out to me at Nadia at NASConsultants.com and Rob at Rob at TacanoConsulting.com. Inclusive Collective is a production of Rafilia Media and edited by Ari Mathay. We would love to hear from you folks. So please send us your feedback at inclusivecollective at refillion.com. You can also find us on LinkedIn, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. Be sure to follow us on LinkedIn so you can subscribe to the Inclusive Collective monthly newsletter. And if you like what you heard, please, please subscribe and rate. We, we enjoy five stars um, wherever you get your podcasts today. Thanks again to our guest, Mitha Malik. We'll be back next week. Be well. Thank you.